0: I often reflect upon being here of the successes that I've had and where I started out from. And I, and I, I attribute a lot of my resilience and my aspirations and my ambitions to having a strong mom in particular who from a really early age always tried to articulate in different ways like verbally and just through doing that there's no limits you know there's an either you're not confined by your circumstance hi my name is Orlando
1: and you're listening to cooking back to our roots with my mom Vivian Akwa the DEI consultant at Amplify DEI my mom will be talking to different guest speakers from the African diaspora in the Netherlands The podcast is not just about food, but also about connecting the conversation with our roots and cultivating a deeper appreciation for our shared heritage.
2: Welcome to the Cooking Back to Our Roots podcast, Christina. And I'm curious about who you are, what you do. Can you share that with the audience, please? Oh, a loaded question.
0: (laughs) I guess... (laughs) the highlights of who I am I'm uh, an American born in New York from the East Village I'm a, a mom of two elementary school kids I'm a wife and professionally I'm an entrepreneur an investor and I also sort of think of myself as an advocate uh, for others who have shared experience with me whether it's on the the entrepreneurial side the investor side or just you know being an, an expat mom American living in the Netherlands <laughs>
2: Okay. I have to share something about Christina because I've known Christina. Yes, she's an angel investor, also a powerhouse who had her own company. She still has her own founding company and Christina is, the way that I met her is a next level boss entrepreneur, which a lot of people can learn more about. So Christina you can share your extended bio. This is the standard room. You can share your extended bio. Come on. And that's
0: true. That's true. Okay. So yeah, I mean, you know, my, I think in terms of like professionally speaking, I started, I've lived a couple of different professional lives. So my first career was working in in banking. I worked at, at Goldman Sachs in New York and in London for eight years uh, from the high highs through the, the, the great recession through 2012. And around that point, there was this sort of, Evolution happening with how technology was transforming our lives, and I got so inspired by this. The smartphone had been in the market a couple of years, and I was just so excited by what was happening during that Internet 2.0 phase around 2012 that I left banking and I totally shifted to the technology space and made that shift in a very entrepreneurial way. So I moved from thirty thousand plus company as an executive director, into a founder role. And I basically set up a consulting practice helping US-based web and app development companies to expand into Europe. I loved that sort of zero to one phase. I did it for about two years. And then I thought, it's been fun sort of focusing on a number of different companies, helping them to you know, set up and establish their operations and have those first seats of growth. I want to continue that. And I don't want to go beyond that. So. I ended up moving to a venture-backed startup in the B2C space, was the COO of that for two years. And then I left to co-found a video marketing technology startup and was the CEO of that for five years. We sold in 2021. And with that sale also happening around the Black Lives Matter movement, it just, for me, was a wonderful opportunity to think about what is my, what's the legacy I'm going to leave? What's the footprint that I'm going to have world? And how can I a, you know a mechanism to help bring solutions to those societal issues that I see today, both socially and environmentally. So that's what I've been doing for the last two years. And I think we met around that that time when I was uh, after I had sold my company and I was a bit of a free agent, just moving where inspiration took me. And I found you also very inspiring, and it's been wonderful to you know collaborate in different ways, just informally in the in bringing more. Shining more of a light on the wonderful entrepreneurship that happens in the, the that ecosystem and trying yeah. to bring more inclusivity into uh, into our world.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And the first time that I met you, you were talking and I was just like, I'm sitting next to a powerhouse because that's how I see you. You're really a powerhouse who, who knows a way. And it's like the very godmother of startups, for especially for those who are non-Dutch, those who have a different background. I feel like you are creating a space where people are able to share their challenges, but also to, to see opportunities. And whilst I'm thinking about that, I'm also thinking, having in my mind what happened in the US, but I'm, I'm letting that go. Maybe we can have a conversation about that later on about The anti-affirmative action that is happening at the moment oh yeah founder so that's something that I'm I'm gonna bring up later but first great. where are your roots from right
0: yeah Yeah. Uh, well it it depends on how far back you want to go I think something funny you know having grown up in the east village the east village I mean it's sort of in terms of look and feel, it's a bit like the pipe here in the Netherlands, but it's basically, you know, there's, there's just there's so much diversity in the East Village and that in terms of background, in terms of socioeconomic status, in terms of religion. But growing up in the East Village, I have a very, uh, I have a lot of different types of uh, ancestry in my background. So <laughs> I, I was asked if I was, Hawaiian, Filipino, Puerto Rican, wow. Latin, Asian. Um, but, you know, so I have a little bit of um, Chinese in my background. I have Polish in my background. Wow. I've got, yeah, it's uh, my family, especially on my father's side, has really been very adventurous in terms of moving between different countries. Um, but my father's from, uh, from uh, Suriname. So he's got Dutch roots, um, mm-hmm. And my mother is puerto rican from the caribbean but um i feel like i'm a new yorker i'm a puerto rican i'm Surinamese, and so depending on who i'm with i feel maybe i lean into one of those different parts of my background so yeah i feel as though i'm a sort of global citizen with 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 a couple of areas heavily represented
2: It feels like, because when when I was having the conversation with Sergio, I was talking about his kids and I see some similarity with with, what you have with his kids, that his kids are global citizens and you are a global citizen, especially when you're talking about your roots, but also where you have lived. right? You worked in London, you were born and raised in New York, and now you landed in the Netherlands, which I have a lot of question marks for, right? You might want to say, but...
0: Oh, Me too. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the easy answer. i a mm-hmm. cool love pat. I, I'm, even though my on my father's side, there the, the Netherlands is heavily represented, most recently mm-hmm. through the Surinamese uh, footprint. But I met my now husband at uh, a bar in New York. He was living in London at the time, I in New York, and then we sort of slowly made our way to the same country, which was uh, England, lived there in London a couple of years, and then, as many Dutch perks do, they, they lure their partners back. <laughs> and uh, I have to say, I, was not, I wasn't so... I didn't understand all the perks of living in Amsterdam until I moved here, and now I I love it. It's a wonderful place to be, especially if you have kids. There's such a nice, you know, great balance of, of greenery and village like city atmosphere, but also a lot, international, a lot of international folks here. So it feels like it's, when the weather's nice, it feels like the perfect
2: place to live. It's a good thing that you're <laughs> saying when the weather is nice, it's,
0: it's sunny today. So I'm in that mindset, but yeah, it's, it's been a
2: rainy October and November. True, true, definitely. So, what is your favorite meal that you want to share with us? Yeah, I,
0: it's going to come from my Puerto Rican side.
2: That's excellent.
0: Uh, and I think so, it's called pasteles. It. Mm. And they're made from yuca root and. The, I think one of the reasons that pasteles come to mind right now is it's also a dish that's mostly eaten around the holidays because it's so labor intensive to make. So it's it's almost like a tamale if that's a little bit more well known yeah. at least in the states. But it's like a little package that's stuffed with meat in most cases, pork. Not as Puerto Ricans, we love pork, but um, but yeah, it's it's delicious. I don't. I I'm not sure if it, if I find it delicious because it really is delicious and has a, you know, these, this really complex flavor, or if it's just something around comfort food. Because I remember watching my grandmother like, spending the day with her. Basically, it's like a, a six to eight hour affair and you all yeah. are in the kitchen and, you know, every, every step of it as a kid, you take part in little parts of the process. And otherwise, you're just sort of standing around and watching your, mom and grandmom and aunts just, you know, sit and mash and stuff and wrap and boil. <laughs> Separate. It's a whole, also that. Oh yeah. It's a whole process. And then, you know, it tastes that much better when you're done with it. And it's only like once a year that typically it's made. So, and it's around Christmas time. So I think that's why customers are top of mind. And I'm going to get some when I go to New York for Christmas. So it's, uh, I'm really looking forward to that.
2: <laughs> awesome <laughs> and when it comes to your Surinamese side do you have a favorite this on that part
0: ooh uh, I love a lot that I, you know and um, I listened to one of the other episodes with some people with Surinamese uh, ancestry and POM was mentioned P-O-M and I have mm. to say I don't know what it's made of but it tastes really good so I think plum would be one. Uh, rice and beans was also mentioned, and that's the other staple food that is for me a real comfort food that I always crave when I see my mom and I go home for the holidays. So that's also nice that it's uh you know there are some things that are a little bit you know cross cultural, and rice and beans is one of those dishes. So I can get it on both sides. That's great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's awesome, that's awesome. Pom, pom is a very laborsome dish. That too, is it? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a laborsome dish to make and I would rather go to my Surinamese friends to, to get the real deal instead of making it myself because it's a laborsome dish that you have to make. And I don't have time for that.
0: <laughs> I know, I know, me neither. So I'm lucky that there's a really yummy, small tiny store that does uh, all these dishes all the best dishes bara is another one that i really like or mm-hmm. thrown to me sort of side dish. not sure if it's baked or fried but it's good it good is it oh, yeah yeah
2: sorry <laughs> to burst your bubble <laughs> i
0: know i know that's uh it is a it is it feels like a treat regardless and yeah. but yeah I'm, I'm also lucky that i have a place that i really like just two doors down and it's always great to support you know mom and pop restaurants as well
2: yeah awesome you mentioned a little bit about the episode that you watched with Hillary and Sergio that was the Suriname episode but what did you learn from from watching that episode
0: I think that the it, it was something that Hillary mentioned where you know there's just something about comfort food or there's just some mm-hmm. about the food that that you grew up with, with your family, and you know, that serves as a comfort. And she made this, she mentioned that through her work, she's taken to a lot of, you know, these wonderful, expensive restaurants. And, you know, she could go away for a week or something and have every night eating out. But then when she gets home, really what she's craving and really what she's missing is mm-hmm. this is the are these dishes that he and um, that she grows up grew up with or that he associates as comfort food. So I that I think this concept of comfort food and sometimes it's not, you know, might not necessarily be the most sophisticated food or something that that people outside of your culture can appreciate, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. It, it, it for me, it's just the I guess the memories that I associate it with. That's probably what I enjoy the most about eating that food or drinking that drink, and I don't really think about it. I just think about, mm, this is so delicious. I want more. Like I have, I have a coffee that I absolutely love, and it's called brand is called Café Bustelo, uh-huh. and it's a Dominican. It's made in the Dominican Republic, and it's something that you you get in the grocery store or in a you know little. Like a small, um, yeah, they call them. Um, they, yes, I don't know if they have them here, but ba- basically, it's just a really small grocery store, overnight store. It's just real cheap, cheap coffee, and I love it. I have to have it every morning. So whenever I go to New York, I stuff my bag with like ten. It comes in brick. Yeah, <laughs> packing patch bricks. <laughs> And my husband is a real coffee connoisseur, and like, I made this delicious cup of coffee. Can I make you some? You have some, and he's really like, no, that's
2: perfect. not
0: Yeah, <laughs> he, he, he smells it, and he thinks that, it, and he just doesn't, you know, doesn't appreciate it. Let's say it like that, and he thinks it's bitter. And what are you talking about? This is delicious. And I think it's also because I grew up smelling it, and that's what my mom used to drink when I was growing up. So, this sort of thing, you know, that that maybe at the surface, I don't understand. I, I don't, it's not really the main thing that comes to mind with why I like it, but probably the biggest reason why I like it is the memories associated with comfort, comforting environments that it just sort of brings me back to subconsciously. So, I think that's what, you know, that, that was my learning or realization in that episode that this is just such a universal human trait, that there are certain smells, certain tastes. You have that just trigger memories and that's universal. That's something that we can all direct about and it's typically around food.
2: I had During that, that you know, when I was tasting Surinamese peanut soup for the first time. And for me, <laughs> it's the tom so the plantain bowls that they have in it, which which is almost similar to fufu, the Ghanaian version. Uh-huh. And that's the and- thing in the yes. pumpkin. <laughs> So when I tasted it, it felt like somebody stole a recipe for my grandmother because I think yeah. not feel her. She's not here anymore. She she died in 2000. I could really taste the way she would make that peanut stew or soup. And I could really also walk through all those memories that I have from her. And it's similar to what you were sharing with your coffee. It's not about the taste per se. It's about the memories that are associated with the food or yeah yeah it's uh special Mm -hmm. what else captured your attention from the conversation that i had in the episode of Suriname? i
0: don't know i think it's also the the you know the Suriname also is such an amalgamation of different cultures yeah and yeah you know what's a bit of a funny fact about my background is my father, as I said, is from Suriname. But I only found out that he was from Suriname when I was around university age, because he had always told people he was from Brazil. Because in the state, nobody has ever heard of Suriname. Oh, yeah. So he got. Yeah, yeah, Sagi. So That's so, I mean, here it's different in in the Netherlands, and I think at, even in Europe, it's a bit better known. But in the States, I mean, it still is a not not very populous country, given its size, and not there are not huge communities, at least in New York, of Surinamese people. So he used to just say, for ease, and you know, getting tired and annoyed by people being like, "Huh, where, where what's Surinam? Where is that?" Um, and he always talked about Brazil. And so when I don't even remember to be honest how I found out that he in fact was from Suriname but rather rather than Brazil but once I found that out I for my senior one of my senior project towards graduation time I decided to research Surin and to understand the history and the culture and you know I know we were we weren't planning to talk much about the Dutch connection to slavery but Mm -hmm. What I you know the, the first thing that stands out when you look at Suriname is all of the different ancestries that are represented in the community, and you know the reason being because in the slave trade they were equal opportunity <laughs> pillagers <laughs> and went to a lot of different countries and continents and brought them over to Suriname um but you know the, the way I say all of that is is that also come came out in Interview that you had with, with um, here, Hillary and Sergey, or Sergio. Sorry, that that there are also the different a lot of different ways that people identify. I think Sergio was Hindustani partially, yeah. and
2: also Caribbean and Caribbean. yeah, Caribbean as well, Curaçao. So there were a lot of mixtures. Yeah, in his culture as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and I I think. You know one the f- the fact that 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 Suriname is such an amalgamation of cultures is interesting in itself, and beyond that the way I think that the mindset that people have growing up in this sort of this of a culture where you have you you look differently maybe you eat differently, I experienced that living in New York City, and I think that's why I also feel like New York City is a part of my breed Thanks. even th- even though it's just a location in the US.
2: Yeah. Yeah. New York is a melting pot. That's what I, the sense that I get out of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It is. It, I mean, you know, I haven't, because I, have I haven't lived there since 2010, I visit multiple times a year, but the, you know, the extremism that we see in the world today, it just feels like people are further and further apart. So, you know, they're, I, I wonder how, I think New York is still a bit of an outlier in terms of you know, the ability for different types of people to live alongside and rip each other versus other parts of the state. But I do think that, you know, I maybe was in in that sweet spot during the Obama years in particular where yeah, there was just a lot, and out post 9-11, I was obviously in New York during the Twin Towers attack. And in that period, there was a lot more Everybody wanted to get along and everybody was being empathic towards each other. And to see from afar, at least in the headlines, how the states settled the sentiment in the states, it's really sad. I find it excitingly really sad, especially, you know, growing up the way that I did in New York, where it really was a melting pot. It feels now that there's just a lot of ingredients together in this pot that are not
2: necessarily melding. Yeah. I get you. I understand that. I feel what you're saying a little bit about the Netherlands, especially after mm-hmm. recently. I just thought,
0: that. as I said it, I was like, oh, this, we're living it here too.
2: Yeah. 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 True. But still, I want to bring back, I want to bring people back to your outlook on your past. What is it that you would like to share to empower people from? how you were brought up in New York or how you spent your youth in New York?
0: I, I often reflect upon in being here of the successes that I've had and where I started out from. And, I, and I, I attribute a lot of my resilience and my aspirations and my ambitions to having a strong mom in particular who from a really early age always tried to articulate in different ways like verbally and just through doing that there's no limits you know there's an either you're not confined by your circumstance you know growing up in the, the east village when i was there there was not the same amount of you know abundance and money that there is now that's all sort of come in afterwards so you know, where we grew, where I grew up, the schooling was pretty terrible. And my mother, knowing the importance of an education, she found ways to get me access to maybe the best education that New York could offer, private school education, through, well, at that point, it was all testing, basically, to do mm-hmm. these tests to sort of show their, the potential, my potential and getting scholarships and grants to do, studies from five years old. So, so that's something that I took with me uh, throughout my education. I found ways to fund very expensive educations through these, these, yeah, fund, fund uh, maybe, and maybe, maybe that's coming a bit full circle. You know, basically these, these
2: initiatives. I'm speaking from, from, Speak it. I'm saying it <laughs> while you were with the faculty. You already started at the age of with this topic, right?
0: And you know, I think that's also part of it. When you when you're on the receiving end, at some point throughout your life, you realize, okay, I've been a beneficiary of a lot of wonderful initiatives and people. You know, are really putting a lot of effort and money to create facilitate opportunities for you know those who were those who didn't have the same level of opportunities socioeconomically, mm-hmm. and. For me, that was about to- totally totally around my education, but now I realize okay, well, maybe the way that I can contribute back is through my expertise, through my capital, and investing in founders of color, gender diverse founders, and also advocating and using a bit of my voice to to raise awareness around the topic. And I think a couple of years ago, it was harder than it than it is now to get people to listen. So now I, i'm actually i don't know how you feel about this movie you or know, if you see i mean there still is a, a specific archetype that gets the most you know press and visibility <laughs> if the viewers could see your face right now the listeners my smile fits it all no i i get I yeah have,
2: yeah get what you're where you are heading and yeah just, yeah
0: there's sadly a hierarchy uh, in terms of visibility, but but there you know, the needle is shifting. I think the more that we try to bring out this conversation around neurodiversity, around visible uh, disabilities, around mm-hmm. diversity, socioeconomic, ethnic, uh, and the fact that there there are that people are ignoring a lot of signs that there are inequities. The more we talk about it, the the more you know, the more people realize that it's a problem and the more normalized it becomes that this is something that needs to be. addressed.
2: Yep. And it brings me full circle with what we started right now, because I think it was fearless funding that was yeah. dealing with, let's say with, with the, there is a scheme in, in, in the U.S. that is against Against positive, what is it? I need to look at that. Affirmative action. or uh, yes. That is yeah. affirmative action. They call themselves mm-hmm. the anti-affirmative action. And you all saw, I hope that you read or saw something about what happened to Harvard or to colleges or to universities where affirmative mm-hmm. action ended. Yeah. And now they want to go further and target companies that are funding minority people. Um, yeah, I don't- fund- do that is fearless funding, where they are yeah. enabling and supporting Black women entrepreneurs. Yeah. Often, often, let's say most of the time, don't even receive one dollar to level up. And we need that. We yes, I need, mean, you know,
0: to to look at the numbers. The, the, what, I, what we were sort of thinly veiling before in terms of who gets the most visibility around the diversity issue. You know, gender is the only lens of diversity that's really sort of mainstream at the moment in the startup ecosystem. And of course, that's just, that's not taking into account intersectionality like like you talk about, where there's yeah. Yeah. a female founder of color, for instance. If you look at the female founders get, I think it's 2% of funding in in Europe is sort of the normal amount that's quoted. And it maybe goes between 1% higher or lower. Yeah. The, uh, Founder, female founders of color get point zero zero one percent. There, so and then this tiny, this tiny, this lawsuit that you're meant that you're bringing up against fearless fund. Fearless fund had a twenty thousand dollar grant. Right. That is, um, so they have like two different parts they have the funds that they you know they've raised lp capital and they do investments in startups and that's part of what they do and then they have a foundation that does grants and those grants are focused on female founders of color one in this case is twenty thousand dollars which is really nothing if we think about it and what you know how much you need to i mean it's something in the early stages but in the grand scheme of venture capital twenty thousand dollars is a blip or not even a blip and they're This this group that you're mentioning, I there's there's a there was this overturning of affirmative action in the state, and there was a group behind that. That group created basically they're creating a bunch of shell organizations that are whose sole purpose is to create legal actions against different diversity initiatives. Those. Different diversity initiatives. Some are against education, which is the affirmative action, which they they won, unfortunately. Another one is in this case around venture funding. So they basically created this shell company to represent an individual who says, "I was aggrieved because I didn't qualify for this, and they took away my ability to get this grant because it's so closed in terms of who it offers." So they are behind that one. They're also attacking corporate initiatives, so corporate board and corporate-run bank accelerator programs that are diversity-focused. And it's very under the radar, so I'm so glad that you bring it up because it's not very much talked about in Europe. Yeah, But the precedent that they are setting and building by stealthily acting behind... There's a group that's stealthily acting behind all these different shell organizations companies that they set
1: up
0: yeah um to create these lawsuits Um, and most people think of them as isolated events, but no they're not isolated events it's a very strategic it's a very big uh, a major
2: strategy that they're they're most strategic thing to target first of all you're targeting companies that are enabling or supporting black women because i think that they know that when they when they do that, they not only hurt the black woman, but they hurt multiple families and multiple people behind it. Because even though I am Amplify DEI, with the things that I do, it's not only about me. It's about you know setting up, helping other people within the society also to build up. So you're yeah. not only targeting this one person, you're targeting on a whole community behind this one person. And on the other hand, I do have... I'm not going to go into a rant when it comes to Europe, but within Europe, I'm disappointed with the opportunities that I, as a black woman, as a female entrepreneur, have. I have, you know, I've written a few funding things. I've signed a few proposals, but then again, to receive a negative proposal to receive you not being honored or you not being seen, you're not being awarded. I decided to create my own doors and to create my own space. And it might take me longer to reach to that certain potential because you, you mentioned that $20,000, it's a little, but then again, for the entrepreneur, for the small businesses, it's a lot to be able to level up. It's a lot. That's right. You're right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I think that um the, the the, the, this is what you notice if you do any sort of research that there are certain groups you know black black women brown women in in particular have the same level of ambitions the same hopes the same dreams the same you know that the, they want to, they see the same opportunities and and that we want to want to grasp them we're just very resourceful i mean colleagues yeah. we're forced to be but I, yeah, you know, I, I, I think um, that's something that I, I have always tried to, tried to do is use my uniqueness as an act as uh, an advantage rather than see it as a factor. and I think you're doing exactly that. I mean, you're build you built such an incredible community of people together that we are able to lift each other up and able to serve as support system for each other and build connections for each other. And there's such a power that you feel when you step into that and you realize that we're either that you have this community of support around you. Um, and that's, 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 it's wonderful that you're doing that, but it is frustrating that when, when you feel as though, you know, you're, 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 uh, that there's certain opportunities that you're not getting access to rather than letting Rex, you know, sort of stop you, you just become even more determined and you also pay it forward, which is, which is wonderful.
2: Yes, definitely, definitely. And also, I mean, you you were talking about your mom and yourself when it comes to funding and the person that came to paint was Tirsa. Tirsa did that. Tirsa did exactly yes. what your mother did when it came to funding. Tirsa funded her whole university and so many other you know courses and training through funding she was the that's how that's also one of the reasons why she became the project wizard and became very pivotal within cooking back to our roots for applying for funding and I could really connect the dots with okay now I understand why you click and why you connect with each other right now because there is this way of Talking to funding or putting in a proposal, that it's not universal. It's not what mm-hmm. I'm hoping. I'm hoping I'm putting out my my hopes and wishes, and of course I'm very positive-minded that Europe there will come a day and a time where Europe will dabble dabble in intersectionality more than only doing things above the surface. Yeah, I
0: I also think with uh, with these. Uh, setbacks in the states around, you know, the 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 opportunity access around diversity, because of these losses we just described, that there's a real opportunity for Europe to step up, especially those that have capital that can be deployed across jurisdiction, across region, for Europe to be the one, you know, standing at the forefront. So I would love for that to be more of a message that comes out of this. Like this is an opportunity that Okay, the U.S. is dropping the ball, but the Europe should be here to step in and pick it up. Mm. That's an awesome challenge. We should, yes, we should read that message more. It's <laughs> but this includes read its
2: like that's part more. But it's sure well, do that. I do think though, Lillian,
0: because you have such strong ties with corporates. I mean, these are also global corporates, right? They have global budget. Yeah, and I. I think that this is where you can really remind people that I have the, uh, oversight of European budgets that there are a lot of companies that have said that they are committed or maybe individuals in, in senior positions that are the, committed to the diversity conversation. Now they're a bit nervous around risks in the U.S. of creating these 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 programs or funding certain things. But Europe doesn't have that same. In Europe, you'll be seen as an innovator. You'll be seen as somebody at the forefront of this discussion. So... They should capture that shine.
2: And too bad for the US counterpart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, love that. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> is that? And you have mentioned the part for the companies and also for the entrepreneurs. But I'm also curious about what is it that you would like other people or the the general folk to take away with them into now, into present.
0: Well, I think like we talked about before, there's a certain division that it, it feels that's happening in different pockets, sprouting up in different pockets of the world. And I think it's just trying to remind ourselves of the wonderful part of finding somebody who is different than you and being able to enjoy a different perspective and being more empathetic to other people and to bring that out in your everyday interactions a bit more. This is the holidays. Everybody's in a good mood, you know. Ask for or ask for a coffee. Somebody on your team in your office that you haven't ever sat down with, and just you know try to make a new friend. Let's we'll say in the month of December, try to have two of those coffees or drinks. <laughs> okay.
2: The, the, the whole year, right? Because I know I understand. Yeah, he is happy and joyful, but. Yeah. There are more holidays throughout the whole year where you can always have a drink or a cup or something else, right?
0: That's right. Yeah. I and, mean, you know, that's, uh, every, every month has a holiday, uh, somewhere around the world. So that's maybe another way to make it even more inclusive and international. But yeah, I, I think that the, the bottom line is, uh, I just like to focus on those things that unite us and enrich us and i think as a new york native new yorker that's maybe i'm born and bred with this the skill to always appreciate that and and, you know maybe there's times where you really just want to be in your own cocoon of of assimilation and i understand that too but taking yourself outside of that once a month it's only 12 times a year that's pretty easy to do and uh, so that's what i would ask or see what people take away from this, is just um, use this as a time to celebrate with somebody else that you wouldn't normally celebrate with and try to focus on those things that make us, you know, complement each other,
2: our uni- uniqueness, how can we complement each other, divide. Exactly. And I've come to the final question, and that is... Thinking about, we both have kids, right? Thinking about the mess leave behind for them. Dealing with exclusion, racism, discrimination and and any other ism. What is it that you want them to have to deal with or to mitigate the current challenges?
0: I hope that they. Well, what I want them to know is it's not their problem; it's the other person's problem. And I think you know, even even now, as I do business, sometimes I'll encounter somebody who has a strange way of interacting, whether it's with me or with somebody else on a team that I'm working with. And my first instinct is always, "Oh, that person. There's something going on with them." <laughs> I I never take it as something that I have done or there's some sort of reflection of myself that's um, an issue that's at at least not my first sort of reflection point. And I think that that's something that I want my kids to realize is that, you know, as long as they're treating other people with kindness, doing their best. I mean, it sounds too new to say, but that is honestly how I try to raise my kids, and if they have somebody who's treating them in a certain way, it's not my. It's not because my perfect kids are doing something wrong. <laughs> it that that it's you know something wrong in the way that the other person has, has going on in their life. So that's as they grow up, I don't want them to ever ever feel like because of something in their personality or their background or you know where they live that that's something that other people can find fault with. It's always they have every opportunity at their footsteps mm-hmm. and if there's anybody who's trying to detract from them, it's not my it's not my kids' problem. It's the other people's problem, whether it's a sort of you know, feeling intimidated or closed minded and to just take it as such, brush it off and keep it moving. You do yeah. up.
2: I wanna say thank you to this conversation because i've uh, yeah i've learned so much about you and also your roots i i knew that you were you had serenomies but i didn't know the other part so i'm learning <laughs> them a lot thank you also for this conversation and looking forward it's to where it next yes yeah what wonderful on a friday
0: afternoon really nice to go into the weekend with the uh, inspiring conversation with each other so thank you for this invitation
1: Hi, my name is
0: Orlando and you're
1: listening to Cooking Back to Our Roots with my mom, Vivian Aqua, the DEI consultant at Amplify DEI. My mom will be talking to different guest speakers from the African diaspora in the Netherlands. The podcast is not just about food, but also about connecting the conversation with our roots and cultivating a deeper appreciation for our shared heritage.